Welcome to the Digiday Podcast. I'm Brian Morrissey, um, and this week I'm joined by uh, Lindsay Peoples-Wagner. Lindsay is the editor-in-chief of Teen Vogue. Lindsay, welcome. Thank you for having me. Okay, so Teen Vogue, I feel like, going back to the last election, maybe it was beforehand, but it really came into focus that um, it was a Teen Vogue that other people didn't expect. It was it was, it was was very attuned to social issues. Um, obviously, this is a fraught time. We've got economic crisis, we have a health crisis, and, and we have a social crisis that is getting a lot of uh, overdue attention. Um, so explain Teen Vogue's sort of mission. Yeah, I mean, overall, my mission is to always make young people feel seen and heard. And that's really, I think, the motto that I walk with every single day. But I think that the lens in which we see everything is inclusivity. And I think that that really has extended to all different ways that we talk about, you know, everything from pop culture to politics, to style, to beauty, to wellness, everything, you know, in between. And I think that for us, obviously, yes, you know, the goal is for young people to feel like they can be part of this community and part of the conversation, but everything that we do is really culturally relevant. And I think that you'll see that even if you go on our site today of things that, you know, you don't have to be a young person to be interested in um, and things that are really relevant to what's going on in the world. So how do you, how do you strike the balance? Because I mean, I, I think when, when people see Teen Vogue, it's, it's different from Vogue. And it should be different. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I think that um, a lot of that is really just um, my own experience and my own, you know, desire to make things really um, a level playing field. I think a lot of my experience before this job, um, I spent five years at New York Magazine in the Cut, and I always felt like um, those two publications really were thoughtful in the ways that they covered a lot of different issues going on in the world. And I think when I came to Teen Vogue, um, when I was an intern and assistant at Teen Vogue, it was definitely all fashion. And then, you know, in the past couple of years, and it was only politics. And I really felt like, you know, the two don't have to be mutually exclusive. You can really love fashion. You can really love beauty. You can really love all of these beautiful, wonderful things, but also really deeply care about the world and want to see change and, you know, want there to be, you know, actual um, sustained change on a lot of these issues. And so I think that approach in and of itself is really a testament, I think, to my experience, but also really where young people are in the world right now, because I don't think that you know, I've heard a lot of people say, like, you know, I want to get back to normal and or we we need to create a new normal. But young people are really the ones saying, like, let's just start over and build something collectively new that's yeah. better because we clearly haven't gotten a lot of these issues right um, before. And I think that that really that really is a powerful thing that we're we're always trying to do at Team Vogue. So explain why fashion and 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 these issues of inclusivity are intertwined because I think a lot of people from outside um, particularly the fashion industry would think they're kind of like totally different no I mean I don't think it's different at all I think like you know you can take my life as a specific example of someone who's always really loved fashion but as a black woman in this space I've never felt like people understood my position understood my strengths or really made a point to make me feel seen and heard in the industry and I think that um, it is really important to me to walk into every space as my full unapologetic black self. But also, yeah, I do love fashion. 
I do love, you know, all of the things that, you know, encompass style and shoots and covers and all of those things. I love being creative. And I think that um, it really now is about taking to task all those brands and all those publications that you love so much and saying, you know, I want your values to align with mine because I love you know, I love all of these brands and and everyone that's, you know, saying that they want to hop on to the Black Lives Matter movement right now. But what we really want to see is not just people being called out, but people really being, you know, called to rise to the occasion of making real changes that have systematically not been in favor of inclusivity. Mm-hmm. I, obviously, a lot of people are scrambling right now. A lot of companies yes. are scrambling, right? I mean, is that fair to say? Very fair. Yeah. Okay. Um and I think in fashion, it's an interesting um, dynamic because I think it's an acute issue. Um, a lot of a lot of glamour industries have acute issues of um, not giving opportunities to to people of all backgrounds. I mean, the true. I mean, there's a cliche, yeah. right? I mean, it's a cliche for a reason, right? Yeah. I read a little of your background. You grew up in Wisconsin. You went to a, a, a small college in Iowa. Correct. This is not the as you said. You're a black woman. This is not the prototypical going to Vogue, at least in the movie. No. Okay. So tell me that story. Um, I mean, I think I was just someone who always um, loved being creative, but it took me a while to figure it out. Um, I spent a lot of my childhood um, at a black senior citizen center with my grandmother and I would make rugs and quilts and pillows and all those things. Um, And after she passed, I really didn't know how to connect with it other than, you know, buying a bunch of magazines and watching movies. And so that's what I did. Um, and I really always felt like I love this world, but I don't feel like I can be a part of it. And I don't feel like it's for me. Um, and I happened to get an internship um, by applying online when, when um, Teen Vogue just needed somebody to merchandise the closet, which basically means like to organize by color and type. And, you know, it's a lot of clothes, a lot of things happening and they just needed some help. And I fell in love with it. You were literally in a closet, were you? Well, it's a, it's a closet, but it's a closet for a magazine, not an, like a, not a small. (laughs) It's bigger bigger than my closet. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but I, I loved it and I loved being exposed to that. And I felt like, you know, I wanted to give it a go. And I think that, um, it is, you know, there's been so many people in the industry that have, you know, come up and said, you know, oh, my God, thank you so much, because I, I've never seen another black person do this kind of work. And I think that's mm-hmm. my my motivation and my goal, because I know that if I don't do this work, no one else will. You have to you have to push. You have to be committed to this, because I think the industry really does have to make some serious changes. And you worked at night, too. Yeah. I mean, I've, since I didn't come from this industry and I don't, you know, I didn't come from a wealthy family, which is what most fashion people do, you know, yeah, you don't get paid a lot, especially when you're starting out. And so in order to have the job, you have to have some kind of income coming from somewhere also to be able to dress the part that costs money as well. And so, yeah, I worked, um, I worked at the DKNY stores at night, changing the mannequins. And then on the weekends, I would always waitress. Um, and it's always been a hustle. Even if I wasn't working three jobs, it was always freelancing still, or it was always, always something to not only make ends meet, but like get my name out there and to be exposed to other opportunities. Um, but it's a journey that, I mean, I don't, I don't force it on everyone because it's a lot. And even to this day, I think that 
people don't realize how emotionally taxing it can be when you're one of the few black people, you know, in a powerful space being trying mm-hmm. to do the work. Explain, explain how, how, how that is taxing. For those um, who don't have I an experience. It, I think it's taxing because I don't think that people understand, um, right now in this moment, I feel like a lot of people are saying, Oh my God, you know, my eyes are opened. I'm now seeing all these problems. I'm now seeing all these issues. Um, and I don't know what to say and I don't know what to do. And this is so terrible. And it honestly, to me, it's like, welcome to the club. This has been the story of my entire life. This has been, mm-hmm. I've never known, I've never not known these issues. Right. And so I think that, um, it can be taxing because people are just now realizing a lot of these things, but also hopping in and hopping off and being kind of a bandwagon fan of different movements, um, which makes it worse because, and that's why I feel like this moment has really boiled over for a lot of people because people are frustrated and they're tired of people kind of hopping into the moment using a hashtag on Instagram, but not actually taking action in their own lives or their own companies. And I think that, um, Again, like I want to see brands, publications, everyone in the industry commit to a long, sustainable change. So we're seeing, I mean, just over the past weekend, I mean, in the fashion um, industry, a a lot, there's been a lot of dragging going on, whatever, like, you know, canceling. And um, because I think when, when, you know, companies immediately go to the old playbook, I feel like, and also, you know, and it, and the old playbook is, well, we're going to put out a statement or we're going right. to do something on Instagram and stuff. And I feel like we're at a moment where rightly bullshit is completely being called on this. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, this is uh, because of social media, really, I think that people are just more comfortable, you know, going on Twitter and speaking their truth more than ever. Um, and I also think the, we are, we're in this moment where for the first time, I think collectively, a lot of people are actually saying, you know what, I'm going to take a moment before I spend my money because I want to make sure that I'm spending my money with a brand that aligns with mm-hmm. my personal values. I feel like even five years ago, people would think about it or maybe say like, oh yeah, like that brand is kind of problematic, but I love this bag or something like that. And I think now people are, people yeah. are really taking a moment to be like, you know what, actually I should not support this brand in this way unless they make some systematic changes. And I think um, that's what's needed to happen because it is a business decision at the end of the day. And Mm -hmm. um, that's, I think, what is going to wake up a lot of the brands. So you do think, I mean, because I I do, I mean, my, like, fashion seems like it has an acute problem. I mean, I would mean acute. I would say large, but yeah. Okay. That's what I mean, like society and all sort of industries have, have, um, issues. It just, it seems like fashion has, um, some specific ones with just the, honestly, the, the, your, your story is very different. I think than, than most stories of, of people in fashion, they, the opportunity is, is simply not there to even be onboarded. And then, um, uh, I know just, you know, if you look in these companies, they're not very diverse. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, for the most part. again, I think it's a lot of, um, you know, everybody is kind of scared to speak up in this moment, but I think a lot of the brands are speaking up in the wrong way because it's like the constant posting of support this black business or do this or do all these things. And, and you have to check your own house before you try to educate other people on things they should be doing. Yeah. And I mean that in literally your own house of like your your partner, your family having those tough, 
quote unquote, uncomfortable conversations that I've been having my entire life, start there. And then, yeah, then go to, you know, your company policies and your, you know, human resources and who you're hiring and how you're supporting um, black employees, all of that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. The Instagram message is like step like 15 or or 20. Yeah. I mean, it's, (laughs) I think everybody is obviously really emotional in this moment. So I, I, I do take that into consideration, but I just think that there needs to be a lot more humility in the approaches of, and I, I, in saying like, you know, we don't have all the answers. We haven't always done this right. Um, Instead of Mm. brands just immediately putting out an MLK quote, that's not, it's not the way. Right. Humility is an interesting word to use there because a lot, I mean, a lot of companies don't have a lot of humility. A lot of executives yeah. don't have humility, um, but particularly in fashion. I mean, they're always they, the whole thing is we're going to tell you what is like you know cool or fashionable, um, right? But I think that I think that that's a generational difference now because I don't even approach anything that we do on Teen Vogue is this elitist way of telling you how it really should be. I think it should be a community. I think that our readers have a voice. I think that they should be able to be amplified on our site and not feel like it's just people telling them how to think and feel. And I think that's the approach that we cover everything of, you know, I'm not going to pretend like something isn't happening. I would rather give you the tools and the resources and the knowledge to be able to decide for yourself. Um, And I think that that's, I I think it's worked for us because that's honestly Mm -hmm. the way that things should be. People should be able to feel like their voice is being amplified in, in that community and like it is a two way street and it's a relationship. Yeah. Quick break to hear from our sponsor. Let's talk about the generational um, angle a little bit and not in the sort of cliche negative generational angle, but that um, it seems to me that, and look, we're only a little bit into into, um, this, but that a lot of change is going to be driven from, it's going to be a bottom up um, change, right? I mean, we're seeing whether it was the New York Times and reporters, um, uh, you know, rising up because of the Tom Cotton um, op-ed, or if it's you know what's happened with Refinery Twenty Nine and, yeah. and a lot of their like ex-employees, they just saw the the editor in chief uh, step down. Uh, look at the NFL. Yeah, I mean the NFL, uh, they wouldn't listen to Colin Kaepernick. Uh, they nope. they, and then a, a social media. I'm pretty sure he's in his twenties. I'm not sure. I, it wouldn't fit my narrative, so let's just assume he's 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 young. Um, he just went ahead and just like completely changed the NFL. I mean, right. look, he's sort of he was a little wishy washy, but for Goodell, he went pretty far. Um, I don't know. What do you think about this being like a sort of bottom up revolution in some way? Um, I mean, I think it's appropriate, and I think it's we we have to hurry up history in this way. I think that's that's what it is. I mean. I'm 29. I feel like I've lived 10 lives over um, trying to make changes in the industry. Um, but I do think that, yeah, I even in my own position, it has to be younger people a lot of times because I think that there is this difference of, um, you know, opinions on a lot of different changes that need to be made. And I think that it has to come from people who are actually feeling hurt by things that aren't being changed. And I think that, um, you know, it, it's very appropriate. I think, you know, you see that with Greta, you see that with Malala, like you see that with so many people that we've had on covers that are young people starting this revolution of saying, you know, this isn't good enough. Like, we're not going to just take what the adults and the older people are giving us because that's unacceptable. 
And I think the the weight has always and a lot of times fallen on young people and people of color and specifically black people. But I think that if that's the only way that change is going to happen, then we just have to keep doing it. So you talked about um, companies getting their own houses in order. Um, and, you know, this is the time a lot of people, they'll, they'll talk about listening. They'll still talk about listening. Yeah. Um, what you what is your sort of advice that like you know companies because obviously they go to messaging first and that's not enough i think you know it's got to be about action it can't yeah. be about um just just talking or the mlk quote um so each each circumstance is different but what is your sort of advice to companies that they do want to get it right you know, whether they're late or not yeah you know. i mean i'm i'm glad that people are at least trying to get it right i think um, taking stock of what you've done really and how you've approached everything. Like I said, I think you have to have inclusivity as a lens in which everything you do. So, you know, it's who you're putting on covers. It's who you're hiring behind the scenes. It's who you're putting at the, as the face of the campaign, but it's also that production team. It's who you have as editors and full-time writers, not just assistants and actually who you have in leadership positions. Um, it's analyzing all of those things and really saying, you know, which ways could we do better? And I think they, um, a lot of brands take it as, you know, when they get called out, like, well, I want to explain and all these other things, but it, it is the situation where you really just have to listen and take stock of what you've been doing and commit to a long-term sustained change of, we understand mm-hmm. like that we've been complicit in a lot of these things consciously or unconsciously. And we're going to make, you know, we're going to make actual changes so that this isn't a situation that we're in again. Yeah. And be held accountable for it. Yeah. And I think that's where the generational thing is interesting. I mean, I've noticed it even just internally is like the younger people will hold you accountable. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's <laughs> what I mean, I've seen so many people, you know, on social media say, you know, this post is great, but I'll I'll check I'll be checking back in six weeks. And I believe them. And I'm the same way. I think that it it is going to be a concerted, you know, thank you for this effort in this moment or your donation or whatever your whatever action you're taking, but I wanna see where we're at six weeks from now, you know, when maybe there aren't as many protests and, you know, people are able to reenter society, what changes are you still going to be implementing then? Mm-hmm. How about opportunity on the, on the opportunity front? Because, um, you know, media, media isn't great with its, um, you know, I think a lot of uh, media companies published their diversity statistics um, about a year or so ago. They weren't great. Um, and anyone who's been in media for a long time knows that, um, there's, there can be specific diversity, but like that there's a lot of underrepresented groups in media. Right. Um, and I do think that's particularly in, in your field, it's, it's, it's even more so. Um, what can companies do on the opportunity front to make sure that this is solved in, in a sustainable long-term way? Um, I mean, I think the hiring practice pipeline needs to be changed Completely, honestly. Um, I think that, you know, the way that we recruit people, the way that we find people, and I say we as in just people in the industry, I think is always too insular. Um, fashion can be such an inside baseball game of, you know, who you know and who you know knows this person. And I think that, you know, as someone who didn't come from this industry, um, I know what that's like to try to prove to people that you're working hard and that, the the hiring practices of a lot of those things just has to be reconsidered of how you're even finding people in the first place. So give me an example of that. Cause I mean, you, you found your way in and like it was through a posting in a little college in, in Iowa. Yeah. 
I mean, but that's the thing. It's like, if you don't, I think now, especially people are so lazy about just hiring a friend of a friend or somebody that they know, and you have to be willing to take a chance on somebody that you don't know and that you've never met. And that, you know, may screw up, may not, may be great at it. You really don't know. And I think that um, it also is then making, like challenging your own biases of the kinds of people that you want to hire. Because I think a lot of times, um, too often in media, there is this idea that you kind of, that people want to hire only a person of color or black person who is palatable for white people. Um, who they feel like won't, you know, speak out too much or, you know, won't cause any trouble or they feel like hmm. won't ruffle any feathers. And I think that bias has to change. You have to be willing to hire different kinds of people yeah. who will change. I think the, the word cultural fit um, often is used almost as a cover, right? Right. I think in some ways. Yeah. Um, and someone, something that came up internally was, you know, reconsidering the importance placed on referrals in general. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of it, honestly, I mean, it could go both ways, but I think that a lot of people, obviously, especially in fashion, you can refer someone and they could be good, but they could also not be as well. And I think that (laughs) we've used that too much as a crutch for sure. Um, And I want to see people, you know, extend to other recruiting from HBCUs, recruiting from other places, not just the same, you know, your alumni or, you know, your circle of friends. And I think that is really where it starts from the door. But also, yeah, when they when they get in the door, um, making sure that they feel like they have a voice, making sure they feel like they have a platform to say what they need to say and putting those people into leadership positions, because that is also a big way that I think media slides by is like freelance hiring a black person to write your cover story, but then you don't have any, you know, black editors on staff. It's not okay. And it, it's these easy ways of easy, but lazy ways of, you know, tapping into this movement, but not actually committing because you, you need to have these people on staff who are part of the everyday decisions and talks and all of that. Not just, Oh, we, we kind of need to hire a black person to write this cover story. So let's bring them in just for this. Okay. So going forward, I mean, how do you see um, Teen Vogue's coverage? Um, I mean, is it is the strategy kind of set as far as like how you're going to continue covering these? Because you know how it goes. Like, yeah, it's the first week of, of of protests and and disturbances, and then you can almost feel a lot of publications itching to sort of get back to quote unquote normal. Yeah, I mean, our aim is always to ampli- amplify the voices of young people. Um, I think the very clear thing about this moment, especially with Teen Vogue, is that we've always been doing this kind of work and that we're passionate about this work. So it wasn't, there was no scramble on our end of, oh, there's, you know, situations of George Floyd and Ahmad, and we don't really know what to do because we had already been writing about it, talking about it, discussing coverage, had things up, posted about it on social weeks ago. Um, And I think the, I mean, a lot of it isn't, necessarily changing any strategy, but just really amplifying it and making sure that, you know, we're continuing to do the work that I think is really important. And I feel like people are actually responding really well to. Mm-hmm. How do you think the media in general has done in, in covering, um, obviously probably hasn't done a great job covering these issues over uh, the many years, um, but um, just in general, you know, since, um, 
in a sense, uh, George Floyd was killed? Um, I mean, I would love for it to not, you know, I would love for these things to be brought to light sooner. I think that a lot of it has been, you know, we rally behind something on social media and then it's written about, you know, in, in big publications. And then, you know, then the police department is kind of looked into in some, in some places and some not. Um, and I would love for that process to, to be sped up because I don't think it should have to take, you know, the most, you know, popular people on Instagram to post about a case for people to be reporting on it. If it is really concerning and it is really a big deal, I think that um, that's our duty to bring everyone's attention to these things that they should be knowing about and, you know, forcing the hand of these departments of saying, like, you need to look into this case because clearly mm-hmm. there's something going on here. Um, you've, you've mentioned social media and Instagram a few times. Like, I, I sense you might be a little bit conflicted by social media activism when um, it's posting the, the blacked out photo on Instagram or uh, using hashtags. Um, and I, I know I've sort of felt yeah. a little bit cynical about that sometimes because I'm like, well, what are you doing? Because hashtags are easy. Yeah, I mean, I think that's honestly gets to the point of what I what I feel like. Um, I think that it's very easy to put the quote, to put the hashtag, to find a graphic. You know, I think it's it's very easy to do the lists of, you know, who to follow and why you should be following them to diversify your feed or, you know, support these black brands or, you know, read these books. I think all of those things are quite easy to put together. I think it's the action is what people want. And that's, you know, and that's what I'm really hoping for from, from everyone. I don't think it's anyone, honestly, in particular, I think it's every single brand publication, PR firm, modeling agency, everybody, we all need to take stock of, okay, like we, we definitely know that this is a moment that we need to pay attention to what actions can we take that really would make sure that we're not part of this problem. Yeah. And that's like a long-term, that's the hard. Yeah. It's, know, it's it's not the immediate. And I, I, I've told a lot of people, I think, you know, I think a lot of people have felt like, oh, you know, I, you know, I posted this, you know, this thing about edu- like educating yourself on racism the other day. And I've been reading all these lists and things. And I'm like, you're not fully woke and realized in a few days. <laughs> Calm down. It, it doesn't happen <laughs> that way. It's going to take time. Um, right. You're going to be exposed to different things. You, you know, it, it isn't just this quick one, two, three process. And I think everybody's going to have to get more comfortable with sitting in this discomfort because I've been sitting in this discomfort my entire life. Yeah. It's like get comfortable with the fact that, you know what, it's going to be uncomfortable for a little while. I'm going to have to have some tough conversations maybe this year at Thanksgiving and maybe at Christmas. Like it's going to be a long-term thing. It's not just a one and done. Right. Um, Final thing is, um, I, I was introduced to the, the word gaslighting by, by Teen Vogue. Yeah. Um, I mean, how much of this are you expecting to really wade into um, the election um, coming up? Yeah, I mean, I think that a lot of it is definitely pouring into that because you're seeing more people protest than ever before. You're seeing more people speak up about the election more than ever before. Um I mean, we're specifically really trying to make sure that young people are getting out to vote um, and that they understand the policies in which they're going to be affected by. And I think it is it is a direct tie in. I think that, um, you know, a lot of people 
tend to generalize of, you know, how do these things happen? And this is like, this just like, there's just coincidences, but nothing is out of the blue, especially in politics. And we have to actually be part of the movement of making changes um, so that we have better, you know, policies, how police treat people and what, you know, how, how our president talks so crazy about black people. I think that we have to, we just have to take stock of that. And I think that everything that we've done is obviously led up to this November election, um, which, I mean, it feels so crazy and I'm, I'm very worried about it. But yeah. yeah, I mean, we're just definitely making sure that people understand like this is important and mm-hmm. you, you cannot opt out to be part of this. Are you on the side of this being a watershed moment or do you view it? like uh, with a little bit of skepticism, knowing how things can seem very big at one minute and then the way our, our media environment works and culture works, um, you know, things fade away. Or do you think this is truly a watershed moment? I'm definitely skeptical. <laughs> okay, explain I'm that. skeptical because I think that, um, especially, I think a lot of things, you know, when you live in New York, and I talk to a lot of people here or, you know, that live in LA or other cities, um, we tend to take a lot of these things for granted and think like, oh, everybody must understand that this is a problem. Everyone must understand that, you know, people have certain rights. And I tell people all the time, no, actually, like where I'm from, Wisconsin is not great on equality. Wisconsin is not great on um, you know, it's one of the most segregated states in the United States. In Milwaukee, particularly, um, the city that's close to where I'm from is one of the most segregated cities in the United States. Um, not everywhere has as much exposure to different cultures and different lifestyles. Um, and I think that that's what we forget in a lot of these moments because, you know, I think people think, oh, well, that, like, that would never happen here. And it's like, it happens all the time in a lot of different places. And so I definitely have more of a skeptic point of view, but I mean, optimistic in the sense of, I know that we've been doing the work that's really important and I hope that that resonates. Lindsay, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. And thank you all for listening. We'll be back next week with a new episode.